0: Hello, and welcome to Subderp's Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango.
1: And I am your co-host, Buddy.
0: And today we're gonna to talk a little bit about the LOL midseason update. But before we do that, buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what we do on this podcast?
1: Uh well, we like to talk about games. Uh specifically today, I guess with the with the LOL preseason changes, there's a there's obviously a lot to get to. But before we talk about that, uh well, first we played some we played some Pathfinder. Did we play some Pathfinder? Yeah, we played yeah. um we played. Uh, do we play rune Lords this week I don't think we played I don't think we played any Pathfinder. It was an off week for Hell's rebels and we didn't I think we may have recorded around rune Lords Wait am I missing that I think I'm missing no one. rune Lords is what, off. Was the, what was the first okay no we, de- we definitely didn't record since playing rune Lords on Monday, right
0: oh 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 you're right. I forgot that we recorded right after that episode you you are correct. we have not played since we last recorded. Right, I was just thinking in weeks. And yeah, what do
1: we do, uh, what do we, what do
0: we do? Well, Wednesday was, 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 was the off week, it was Shadowrun. Yeah. And then this Monday is, it's cancelled because I'm in the air, and Wednesday, um, I guess might well, when this episode goes up, yesterday there will have not been an episode of Rune, Rune Lords, so, sorry in the past,
1: I guess? <laughs> well, anyway, um... I guess we didn't play any D&D then, but uh, you and I probably have been playing some video games. Have you been playing more Dark Souls 3? I have
0: been playing a ton more Dark Souls 3, um, as well as some Street Fighter and some uh, and some Smash, just because I've got some friends in town who like to play those games. But um, in my kind of you know gyrating around Dark Souls 3, um, I actually read something that I thought was very interesting, and I think you would find it very interesting, is this channel called Snowman Gaming, and they talk about I found them because they had a bad design principles game or video rather about Donkey Kong sixty four. And then I looked into some of their other ones and there was a good design principles video about Dark Souls, uh about Dark Souls in general. Um and I thought it was interesting because it kind of highlighted some of the things that you saw as kind of weaknesses, which um in in terms of uh and they get a couple different ways actually. So the uh the first one is um in Dark Souls, he highlights this, this prin- principle called the silent storytelling principle where he says or where, where the, the author views that the fact that all the story cues are kind of environmental and you have to kind of discover them rather than being just narrated to you as a very positive thing. Whereas if, if I remember correctly, you in the past have highlighted these this type of, of story highlighting as as being less than ideal.
1: Sure. So, okay. Yeah. But I think we're also mincing words a little bit. A lot of the time when I'm talking about storytelling, I'm talking about characters and plot, which it seems as though this stuff is the, the, the story that happens environmentally, it sounds like, sounds to me like it's, it's, World building stuff, right? Like it's stuff about the setting, and it's not really, you know, like it's not really plot of this happened, therefore this happened, but this happened, therefore that happened, kind of thing, right? Like, like plot point to plot point plot. It's this is what the world is about story. Um, and those are and those kind of that we've been using the same word to describe both of those things, I think, which has led to a little bit of confusion. Okay, see th- that's that's
0: that's interesting because um, I don't know if uh obviously I know that you're not familiar with the Dark Souls story, but I wanna, I'm want to. i going to describe kind of what it is, and you tell me if you think it's plot or if it's or if it's world-building. Fair enough. Let's um, do it. So, um, like I've said before, most of the story is delivered through item descriptions, but those item descriptions kind of give details about different characters or, like, like, like a story-specific character or something like uh, a description of an event that happened in the world. Um, but a lot of those, like... A lot of those events, a lot of the descriptions of characters, kind of build out the motivations for kind of like you're, what you're seeing in the Dark Souls world. Um, at least the Dark Souls one in particular, are is kind of like the the consequence of things that have happened before, and all the item descriptions describe what happens before, and you kind of piece together what the motivations of the people that are happening uh, now, like, like, like what's happening at the present of the of the game time. Um, what their motivations and why all this stuff is kind of happening um you can you only get kind of that background motivation the, those kind of background um kind of character setups from the item description
1: okay so that i mean i i okay i t- I guess it's a little bit of a blend um in the sense that uh it, it this all sounds like backstory obviously, which Brings up character motivations for people that you meet, right? So it's not or, it's not like it's not of, like the items. It's not like the items tell you why you do the do, like. Is it that like you find items, and it's because of the items that you keep going down this path, kind of thing?
0: Um. No it's it, it's it's more like you. So you encounter an enemy, right? A specific enemy, and. The only way, like the only way you f- you figure out exactly why this thing essentially wants to kill you is by reading the item descriptions around it to kind of glean why they are so say in in, in Seph's case Seth is is the giant wolf with a sword in the mouth one of the most iconic Dark Souls one's enemies um, the only way you can figure out kind of why this wolf is is defending this grave so so perniciously is 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 by reading a bunch of the the. The, the items surrounding it at least in the base game once the DLC came out some stuff came out um some more details were revealed through through that dLC um but uh that's like like you could just ignore it and just be like I had to kill this dude because his health bar was red um or you could or you could try and dig in and figure out why 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 the things that are happening are happening
1: so. This is just about Seth, though. This isn't about what you're doing. Do you find out what you're doing? Um, well that that part is kind of directly told to you,
0: like that that you have to like that, that's some of the very little is that you need to ring the bells at the end. You either um spoilers for Dark Souls One, you either link the fire or you don't. But kind of like there's like the, there's a couple of characters that are telling you whether or not you want to link the fire or you don't want to, and kind of figuring out. What their motivations are for telling you to link to link the fire or not, um, is kind of up in the air. And you have to kind of decide. Like ne- neither of those endings is necessarily a good ending. Um, like th- there is no good ending. Um, in in in
1: essence. Okay, um, I think I think it's a little bit of a mix uh, when it comes to that. It sounds to me like Dark Souls is taking advantage of kind of the inherent game need we have from a systems point of view to progress right um which is kind of the like i just i want to get my better items i want to level up and get exp- you know i want to get to experience i want to level up i want to do all of these kinds of things right the, the almost the skitter box of the systems right as your motivation for moving forward a lot of games couple that Right, that set of motivations with also story motivations, right? Uh, You know, in Mass Effect, you're trying to save the the universe. In in Dragon Age, you know, you're trying to save the world, right? You your character has in universe like diegetic motivations for doing what he's doing. It sounds like it sounds like Dark Souls has kind of stripped that out of the character and made up for it almost uh, by this by like all of this world building. That they do ancillary to huh. it almost. Does that make more sense?
0: Kind of. It, it, it's weird because your, your character's motivation is you. You're you're an undead. You wake up. Some dude throws a key down or throws a body down uh, into your cell that has a key on it, and you you know your motivation there is just like get out of prison. Um, and then somebody tells you that you that you know you need to go ring these bells. It didn't really give you a why, but there's like you know. I, I, I guess you're right there's kind of like the the mechanics drive of like well you you could just not but then why are you playing a video game um type of deal um, but then it, it kind of fills in that kind of like what the like the reason why you rung the bells the reason why you need to find um the the souls to fill the lord vessel is kind of like like this is the thing that you need to do. Um, and like the kind of consequences of
1: that aren't really explained to you until, until later, until you backfill it yourself. I mean, this so to me, this sounds a lot like the first Bioshock, which I think we can all agree has a really great narrative, right? The first Bioshock is the same thing for the first half or so, right? Right. And then it has its big reveal where it point, it, it lampshades that, right? Lampshades the fact that you've kind of just been going without much of a, you know what I mean? You've just been going and and discovering more about Rapture and the world and everything. Um, and your motivation is super, super basic and not fleshed out. Uh, I I think that that can't be executed on very well. Uh, and it sounds as though Dark Souls is a little bit more in that vein of okay, I think that's uh, fair in that vein of game than it is in the you know Mass Effect where the like the narrative is is a huge part of that game, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I, 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 absolutely. Um, something else that I thought was kind of interesting about, so, he's got this Dark Souls video, and and he gushes over Dark Souls, as many Dark Souls fans do, do, and he kind of points out, from a bunch of his other videos, what good principles that Dark Souls uses, um, I'll I'll link these all in the description, by the way, um, and on his, uh, story one, he talks about Gone Home having good, very good in-place storytelling, which I thought was neat, because I historically don't like, uh, Gone Home, um, have you ever played Gone Home, buddy?
1: No, but, I mean, I know all about it, obviously. Yeah. It's, it's a very famous game to know about.
0: Sure, yeah. And, you know, I I, pl- I played it because it was the game to play, and I, I will agree that it had very good silent storytelling. I just didn't think the story was, was very good. Um, I wanted to go on the record on this podcast and say that I don't think that Gone Home is a very good game, but not because it's a walking <laughs> simulator. Him, got, got him. I know.
1: Well, I, and, mean, I mean, I've also got on record on this podcast that I don't think walking simulators are all that great, uh, just because I think that they're... Of like their aversion to mechanics to me, I made this kind of comparison earlier, but their aversion to mechanics to me is kind of like somebody making a film and saying, I'm going to use the most boring cinematography and editing possible. And it's like why are, you know, like, why are you making a game if you don't want there to be mechanics? You know what I mean? Like that 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 I just that gets on my nerves. Uh, and there's kind of this uh like community or like cultural narrative almost that uh, these like hyper hyper arts games like that avoid using avoid using mechanics because they're for you know just for whatever reason which I think is you know I just think that's a mistake and I think that's not not good not good I just think that's not good anyway so, so uh, <laughs> uh, actually qu- question kind of
0: in, in that vein um so saying that walking simulators don't have any mechanics I think is a little bit off like Besides, obviously, there's the mechanic of your character walking around, there's like an exploration and discovery mechanic, varies game to game, like Gone Home, you can pick up objects and rotate them and look at, look around at them. Do you think that doesn't have value for kind of like increasing it, so it the immersive does, experience? It,
1: I mean, it does, right? But it's such a bare minimum kind of thing um, that I feel like there's just more there, – there's got to be more options out there for a game like Gone Home to better communicate its story, whatever, uh, than – Walking around and picking up, you know, and like and picking up the objects in in that, you know what I mean? Like, there's there's just got to be more to it than that. Uh, I've I've seen and I've heard arguments along the lines of you know, like Dear Esther, for instance. Dear Esther is as much about exploring the space, um, and so you can kind of approach it from a mechanics point of view from that direction. But even so, it's still just it's so it's so it's kind of so basic and uh i don't know, uninteresting. I mean, you know like it, 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 there there are definitely places where it works and i think it's fine. I think The Walking Dead is a great example of this. Um they it's functionally a walking simulator and it's got these point and click things, right? But every once in a while, you know like it gives you these kind of tense action scenes and the way that those the the way that those interact are so poignant. Because of their contrast with the rest of the game and how other stuff, you know, like, and how other stuff works, then I think that that's a pretty good example of a midway point. It's actually a lot like a movie, to be honest, to me, it's a lot like a movie like Spotlight, right? Um, Spotlight, which very recently won Best Picture, um... It doesn't have amazing cinematography. It's not, you know, it's not Birdman or The Revenant. It's not trying to like, or you know, Gravity. Right? It's not trying to go out of its way to be like, wow, look, wow, look at my cinematography. Wow, look, I'm so good at this. You know, it's it's not that. It's not that kind of movie, right? It's a movie with a really strong script and really good characters, and so the cinematography is very uh, basic. It's kind of like it's kind of like to to mix this metaphor even further. Right? Go go one level deeper. Um, It's kind of like how in Star Wars, Kit Fisto is a master of Form 1 lightsaber fighting, Form 1 being the most basic Uh, fundamentals lightsaber fighting form right that movie does not do anything crazy all of its all of its dialogue is shot reverse shot it's all shot on tripods anytime you go to a new location you get an establishing shot right when a character learns a new piece of information you hit a close-up on their face after all of these medium shots on their conversation right All, all of these kinds of things super basic i this is all covered in film theory 101 right but it it's it it is very very appropriate for that movie, and if that movie tried to be more pretentious in its uh, in its cinematography, it would have probably suffered from it because it would have been distracting from solid script, solid characters, kind of thing. And I think to a certain extent, that's where this is the space that Walking Dead lives in, right? Uh, but if I'm playing, if I'm playing to to finally back out of my Inception, uh, if I'm playing one of these walking simulators wait wait wait, wait.
0: And- hold hold on one second.
1: What was the Kit Fisto analogy? Uh,
0: you, you you lost me at that. I'm sorry. Okay, so
1: Kit Fisto, this is, okay, so this isn't canon anymore, I guess, because of the Expanded Universe. Um, Kit Fisto, and actually, by the way, Emperor Palpatine, uh, in his own way, there are seven lightsaber forms. Uh, the first sure. one is the one that they teach all uh, you know, younglings and Padawans or whatever, and it's just the basics of lightsaber combat, right? Um, but you can actually master, you can be like a master of lightsaber form one. Uh, rather than choosing forms two through seven, which are more specialized and have different strengths. You know, lightsaber form two is about lightsaber dueling, which is what Count Dooku focused on. Lightsaber form three is uh, a very defensive form built to be ver- to be like versus blasters. Obi- Obi-Wan is a big lightsaber form three uh, user. Lightsaber form four is a very acrobatic offensive style, etc., etc. Um, lightsaber form one is is not something that people specialize in right they tend to specialize in one of those later forms but kit fisto is like in universe a good example of someone who has just mastered the fundamental basic basic lightsaber form he doesn't do anything tricksy he doesn't do anything crazy right but that doesn't mean he's a bad lightsaber fighter if that makes sense right yeah and so okay uh, and so I was just trying to the comparison between a movie like Spotlight, which is very it, it it is a masterfully shot film right but it is very basically shot uh there's nothing crazy there's no super long you know wonders that you know people like to jerk off about right there's no there's just none of none of that none of that stuff that's like oh Alfonso Cuaron does an eighteen minute you know one shot in gravity it's like it doesn't it doesn't play in that space it doesn't care about that kind of stuff and i think the walking dead is a lot like that right the walking dead uses very straightforward basic mechanics but it always uses them to engage The audience you know and all of those mechanics always kind of back up the uh the the kind of beats that are happening in the story appropriately so even though I don't think that's a very mechanically dense or complicated or complex game I think those mechanics are very appropriate for that game um what I find in a lot of these walking simulators is that this lack of mechanics is uh is it's just not engaging uh, it's, uh, it, it is a boring, uh, experience. And so if, y- I mean, some of them have stories that can carry past that kind of, right. But it always feels like a big missed opportunity because there's just, you know, there's something more that you could have done to engage your audience. There's something more that you could have done to highlight this emotional moment, uh, for the player, right. Uh, with these mechanics, but that choice was not, you know, that decision wasn't made. Um that makes sense yeah yeah you yeah, know that, that that we all should put sense. a pin in this i do want to talk about my comparison between gameplay and cinematography in the future because it's something that you and i have argued about in the past and i'm sure that we could get a full cast yeah out of that. sure <laughs> um, fair enough but fair um, enough
0: um the only other thing i wanted to point out have we talked about undertale at all in this cast besides me saying that it was my game of the year have you have you because i know that you tried to play it and you were frustrated by the first boss
1: i, I never went back to it either because <laughs> I just talked about it, I like I kind of talked to myself almost out of it um, when I was talking. Yeah, I got really frustrated by the first boss. Okay, um, um, but I don't know that we actually had that conversation on the cast, right? Because I was we were talking about, it and I felt cheated because my strategies weren't working out, and the game wasn't telling me that. Yeah. So, so uh,
0: just to, to bring it back to my original point was that another another principle that uh, Snowman Gaming. It identifies as being a good game principle, present in in Dark Souls, and in this case, Undertale is the real morality principle, where your actions have consequences, essentially, and and fairly permanent consequences. Um, Like, with with the equivalent being, like, in Fallout, let's say in the Fallout series, you can be bad, and then if you decide to be good, you can go do a bunch of good stuff to reverse your karma, essentially. Similarly, in, 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 I guess, like, Mass Effect... Although it's, I guess it's a little bit harder to reach the extreme ends without kind of dedicating yourself in one direction, um, you know you, your 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 scales kind of is kind of a your, your morality scale is kind of a pendulum and you can kind of swing it however you want. Whereas um, with Undertale and with Dark Souls, you can't really roll back a lot of your decisions. Like if you kill someone, they're dead, um, and the game auto saves, so you can't do anything about it. Um, but something that this highlighted for me for Undertale is uh, can, can you? So what exactly made you feel cheated about about the Toriel fight?
1: Well so I was trying to I was trying to do a pacifist run. I knew that a full pacifist run where you didn't kill anybody um was possible. And I was taking very great pains to to do that, you know, with wipes and with uh figuring out just different figuring out just different things. Um and with the Toriel fight, um what what had happened was I kept, she wasn't killing me. She doesn't kill you in that fight. She brings you to like one HP, but she doesn't actually kill you. Um, I kept trying to piece my way out of that fight. But it wasn't working. And so I decided, I was like, oh, well, maybe I have to lower her HP bar, right? It's kind of like Pokemon, right? Where I have to bring her low enough so that I can finally piece her out of the fight. So I started attacking her, and I hit her two or three times for 10 damage, right? And then the fourth time I hit her, I hit her for like 150 damage, and I killed her. And I was so mad about that. because Because the game had established a pattern, right? Over these three or four shots... Each time it does ten damage, and then out of nowhere it did hundred and fifty damage, and I had to go back and restart this fight and that moment was just so frustrating to me uh that i that I rage quit i just put I just put the game down entirely um okay yeah and we, we we've had an argument about this
0: before um uh, just to to briefly summarize my point would be that. Um, to, to counter or to stand against your point against uh, the game had established a pattern is that the game has not established a pattern because it's your first boss fight. But I understand your point, and that's that's definitely arguable. But um, the more I, I, like, think about Undertale and I read it, I think that, like, you're actually supposed like, the game wants you to kill Toriel in the first playthrough. Um, it kind of wants you to play your first playthrough as a standard JRPG. I think it's actually a great disservice to the game that... Everybody knows about these three runs before you get off the ground. I
1: definitely agree with that. I think that uh, part of my playthrough was just ruined by me. Part of my playthrough was just ruined by me going for, you know, trying to go for this. I was trying to. I was I likened it in our in our talk about it as if I was trying to play Deus Ex Human Revolution the first time out uh, as a with a with like a ghost non-lethal playthrough. I know that's possible, right? Uh, and it's very very hard, and I did complete that as a second run. I've played through that game a couple of times, um, but my first playthrough, I didn't know. I didn't know about that. I didn't care about that, right? I was just playing the game, and so uh, you know, I, I killed some guys. I just all, all of that, all of that stuff, right? Um, because I wasn't really thinking, and I didn't know the consequences uh, along those lines. Um, and I think I would have been just as frustrated in the Deus Ex scenario, just because of how. Well, it would have been a little bit different, but just because of how like tough it was uh, and how unforgiving stuff is in uh in the de- in the the ghost playthrough of Deus Ex. When you especially when you don't know what's coming You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. You yeah, know absolutely. Um yeah, I, I think that's fair. I don't know. If you ever want to... I also
1: I, I here's the thing. I also haven't like, you know, signed you know like that 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 wasn't meant to be like my review of Undertale like, you know, done and done chop it off right sure. um it was the it was it was just my first impression based on that one it was just my first impression based on that one play and then i you know obviously because i was shit talking a game that everybody everybody really really liked it became a gigantic fucking argument
0: <laughs> as, as as it usually does um but yeah um, if you if you ever want to go back and explore that game, I'd love to talk about it someday. I feel like
1: I, I feel like I have to. I feel like we do kind of have to do a cast on it just because it's so it's so kind of ubiquitous at this point.
0: Mm. You know, I was thinking that what was I think? I actually had an idea about this. Maybe I'll talk to you about it after guess, but something where like Um You should go play a pacifist run through on your own. Maybe we stream a genocide because I've I've only ever watched a Genocide playthrough. Um maybe we could stream a full Genocide playthrough just because I feel like that be that that'd be good for me feeling bad about myself for the next week or so. Um <laughs> but yeah, maybe in the future. Um but yeah. Um I just kind of wanted to bring that up cuz um I, I really like the essentially what they they call the real morality principle which is, you know, once you kill Toriel, she's dead and um spoiler more spoilers for Undertale um is um, there are certain actions you can take in, the, it's not really spoiler because I'm being very vague, but there are certain actions you could take in the game, which are kind of, like, you can't run them back, like, they affect your, like, if you finish the game in one way, it will affect your, um, save files going going forward, um, and so, you know, you're, you're kind of, like, locked into that, but Undertale also has a lot of, like, fourth wall breaking type elements that kind of make it fit that game better, but, uh. Uh that's that's all I kind of wanted to uh, uh, talk about with that. Um, but yeah. yeah, fair
1: enough. Um,
0: but Dark Souls Three is a lot of fun. Just killed a big old demon and got myself a big fire axe.
1: Oh boy! Oh jeebus! Um, yeah, I've been playing. I've been playing Civ Beyond Earth. I literally actually like two hours ago just uh, just completed my first victory. Uh, I think in that game where I did one of the special victories rather than like domination or whatever. I really like these special victories. I actually really like this game. I was, I like, I, I, I'm really glad that I said this initially about it, which is that I feel like it's going to get better with like a first expansion because it really has gotten better. Um, and it is better than Civ Five in a couple of ways that I think are very understated by like most of the community who kind of like has sweared off Civ BE and and only sticks to Civ Five because like you know my I at first I thought the AI wasn't being aggressive um, but the AI actually does get very aggressive uh, in the in the mid to later stages of the game I didn't have very aggressive. Uh, This is also because I was playing on a very massive map. I didn't have a very aggressive AI um, initially. But as I got stronger and stronger, um, I did get caught in alliance wars a lot. Um, And because of how they changed the diplomacy system, it's, it's kind of like really tough to talk about without all this context. Okay, so they changed the diplomacy system so that you get a resource called political capital. And then you spend that resource in kind of per-turn increments in order to get agreements that give you bonuses with uh, other civs, right? And there are five, like, levels of diplomacy. You can be at war with a civ, sanctioned by a civ, which means that you cannot trade with that civ and you cannot make any agreements with them. Neutral, which means um, you can... You can make agreements and trade with them, but that's kind of it. Cooperating, which gives you open borders, and then allied, which means that if anybody declares war, you declare war with them kind of thing, right? And for those last three, as you go from neutral to cooperating to allied, um, you actually get better benefits from – the agreements that you're making right so for instance uh i had an agreement that was you get plus one health which is like plus one happiness for every strategic resource of on on like on the map right and it goes from plus one to plus two pl- to plus three for when you get it from an ally um and there's a whole bunch of these different you know there's just so many of them you know like oh you get th- you know culture when you kill a unit or uh specialist citizens no longer you know require food or or outgrow, or outpost development uh, increases by fifty percent speed, kind of thing, right? And you actually come to rely on these political bargains that you've made because they they work, they tick. It's like per turn agreements that just last indefinitely. Um, and I had created a civilization that really took advantage of that health one, where I was very I had expanded incredibly aggressively to get strategic resources to pump my health score through the roof, right. So that I wasn't getting all the unhappiness that I was getting from population and uh, and having like, just a ridiculous number of cities and everything like that. Um, and so when the the civilization I had that agreement with broke that agreement with me, that was a huge blow to, like, my civ, right? I almost – I didn't really almost lose, but, like, I I had to deal with, like, 20 turns of, like – no growth, no production, no science. Like it was really tough until I could figure out a way to buy my, to buy that agreement back um, from the Civ that had kind of taken it from me. Um, and so it 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 has become a bet. It has become a much better game politically than it was uh, than it was on release. Also, the the way that units, um, you know, how in Civ Five. There's a very basic number of units. They tend to be like three or four units per era. Yeah. Um. Yeah. You know, and if and, got,
0: then, and if you've got a civilization with with a special unit, it swaps out for that unit.
1: Yeah, exactly. And then, but eventually, you do get to the modern. You know, event you get to the industrial era where it expands a little bit, and then you get to the modern era where it expands a lot. Right. And all of a sudden, you have aircraft and battleships. You know, like all of these things. Civ Beyond Earth starts in that modern era functionally. It's pretty quick and easy to get most of the basic forms of the basic units. So you actually have a very diversified military for most of the game, which I think is a very cool and underrated aspect uh, aspect, uh, of it. Um, In general, I actually think the combat in Civ BE is a lot better than it is in Civ V, because the other half of this is that um, your unit upgrades are no longer tied to experience. They're tied to your affinity levels uh, or whatever. And so... Um, it's not, it's no longer a game of, like, can I farm experience on this archer until he gets, you know, all of the really broken traits, you know, at, like, level five and six and seven that, like, give him an extra range increment and allow him to shoot over mountains or whatever the case may be, right? Um, it's just, once you hit that affinity level, all units you make for the rest of the game have this upgrade that really changed the way, uh, you know, you strategize. Do units um, not have experience at all in being They do, but the only way you can burn experience is to make their combat stats 10% better. Oh, okay. Um, and so high and so like high experience units are very valuable because eventually, you know, you're getting at 20, 30, 40, 50% better stats, which is huge, you know, like that's huge late game kind of thing. Um, but uh you no longer it, it is no longer about the kind of specificity um, in, sh- in, in, like, tactics, uh, that the Civ five right. units demand of you.
0: Right, right, you want to get one with, like, Medic, and then have the rest of the, you know, so that it heals you, that kind of thing.
1: Ex- yeah, all of the, exactly, all of that kind of thing. Um, I don't know, I really like that game. Yeah, uh, no, and, uh. Like, second playthrough.
0: I personally really like the, te- the technology web, um, aspect, I liked it much better than the, uh, than the, the kind of tech tree that Civ yeah, five had I going for it. Yep,
1: I'm definitely a big fan of the tech, tech web.
0: Um, you just could, you could explore a bunch of directions, you don't have to, like, you know. In Civ, in Civ 5, if I wanted to rush, like, sailing, um, it was actually really, like, you know, I would get, you could get, like, a couple texts ahead in one branch, but you eventually had to fill in the rest of the pieces, otherwise, one, you would really hamstring yourself, and two... Right, because you you're miss-
1: waiting 36 turns, or whatever. Well, yeah, to,
0: like- well, yeah, that's the second part, right? Like, one, either, you know, I ha- I have optics, but I don't have, like, bronze working so i'm fucked if like somebody decides to attack with uh, decides to attack me um and two the like like you said the other half of that is that it's not effective to research later level text because it takes you so long to research them
1: um yeah no i'm yep i'm 100 with you uh especially because everything scales with text right even if you get to optics and you get your caravels out right caravels also take for you know like forever to make because their production values are so high like you know you're hypothetically you know if you if you don't have what you know one of the lower ticks that gives you production right then you're also wasting another 20 turns just producing the caravel in the first place um and so yeah i i definitely uh i definitely agree with that i think i think you are I think you are right. Not to disparage Civ Five, I like Civ Five a oh, lot. Oh yes, but absolutely. Like, I, I don't think that uh, that Civ BE uh, made bad changes. I think it actually made pretty positive changes overall. Yeah, um,
0: that's the other game we should uh, we should stream at some point.
1: That's true. We should that, that a multiplayer a
0: game. That would be a fucking event. We need to uh, set a bunch of time.
1: Yeah, but now that we've wasted 30 minutes, let's talk about the mid-season changes The midseason hour, changes, which I'm sure we won't get all the way through <laughs> at this um, point. Yeah. Did, did we want to start with, with Tarek's rework? Uh, yeah. So the first part of this uh, is that we wanted to do is Tarek's re- rework because he uh, just – that just hit live, right? Uh, the mid-season changes are going to hit uh, next, basically. Yeah. Um, in the the next patch from when we're recording this which is gonna be 6.9 it'll probably be a week after this podcast because they tend to patch every two weeks um, but yeah let's talk about let's talk about Tarek um, wow geez what a gear shift I so yeah I like uh, overall uh, I like the rework a lot I think old Tarek really was actually pretty bad for the game and I'm glad that they really did a top-down complete overhaul uh, because I think that there's he he's not a champion that I think you can salvage his kit. Um, I think you really do just have to completely shred. You just have to you just have to take a lawnmower to his yeah to his kit and start and start completely over. I think um, and I think the changes that they made are are pretty good. By the way, other champions that I think fit in that vein are Yorick and Mortikaiser. I don't know why they keep trying to make Mortikaiser's shitty kit work. It it. It shouldn't. They need to remake. They need to scion or poppy that champion. I think. Uh, I don't think that they can keep trying to like.
0: Yeah, I, I think it'll be a while before they do that though, just because they already tried it once. Fucking ghost dragons. Um, yeah,
1: it also kind of fucked up and failed.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But uh, I th- I feel like that that's coming that that's gonna come down the line. Um, I don't think that that comes like. I think that comes soon. They've
1: said the next two reworks are going to be Rise, I think, and Yorick. Rise is um, getting another rework. Maybe, yeah. Dude, t- tell me about it, dude. I this is. I mean, I'm sure that we'll get a Rise. I'm sure that we'll get like a Rise rework page kind of thing. Um, that show that we that we can like have a talk about. I think Rise is actually next. Um,
0: um, I thought yorick was next but yeah you know, it, it's not important
1: uh, just checking the champion update schedule it's the mage update then rise then yorick uh, okay um, but yeah I think rise I, I've said this before I think rise can't have both of this CDR scaling mecha- this CDR mechanic of his with his Mana scaling um, I think that is just not I, yeah. I don't think that they they he can live on that uh, on that kit I think those two things kind of Counteract one another, and it doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter what abilities you're going to get him because he's. Th- they synergize just so unbelievably well that he's always going to be broken, um, basically. Um, but we're here for Tarek, I guess. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Have you played with the Tarek update? He's like banned in every one of my games.
0: I, I have played alongside of him. I have played against him once or twice. Um, I've never played him because just everybody was like everybody decides they want to play support now even though, <laughs> um, it's funny but yeah um I thought it was neat um one thing I think that so the only thing that I think kind of y- y- you can argue that was good about old Tarek is that um, he was very easy uh, for a new player and a um, you know it's kind of like a meme at this point that like you know every point and click stun is being eliminated. Um, and eventually they will be wiped from the face of the earth, and there will be no more point-and-click stuns. Um, and they, they did that with Tarek. They got rid of his point-and-click stun. For a stun that is more powerful if you can land it, but harder to land, um, I, 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 see, I think that for, like, maybe it's not right on Tarek, but I think a, a support champion that has that kind of easily easy point-and-click stun is a good thing for a newer player.
1: Uh, I tend to agree to a certain extent, but I do think ease is an interesting concept when it comes to League and it comes to, um, I don't know, it it, it seems like it's interesting uh, to see what champions people think of as being easy and what champions people think of as not being easy. And I think that, honestly, the champions that they've been putting out have been definitively tough. I think the last easy champion that they put out was Braum. Um,
0: they, they have said as much themselves
1: exactly yeah i mean that's i i'm i'm not even saying that as like a me opinion that's just a quote right uh that of all of the like the past 20 champions that they've put out um I, they it, it it they it it has only been brahm that's the only way. And i don't even honestly think i actually don't think that brahm is all that easy like Compared to Yasuo and Callista, yeah, of sure, of course he's, of course that's easy, right? But um, you know, compared to, I don't know, even champions like Leona, who I think of as a pretty easy champion. Uh, Technically, I think a, Braum point a, well, not a point is a
0: little It's a but it's a point. It's a click and auto attack stun.
1: Yeah, um. I think so. The tough thing I think is that easily easy mechanics champions. Uh, kind of have to be hard decision champions a lot of the times uh, and this is what this is what Leona is right Leona's mechanics are pretty straightforward overall um, but she unfortunately um, but she has such a specialized role that you really have to be making the right decisions sure uh, on Leona in order to like in order to make her in order to make her work and I think that that's you know i don't know i think that that's tough um i also think by the way that some of that it's not they're not entirely bad at this i think champions like jinx uh very you know there are certain champions that are just straightforward right i think jinx i think you know vi i think uh uh just looking at these champions see i even actually secretly um See, I want to say Rek'Sai, but Rek'Sai is actually a little bit. Yeah, more right. I, I
0: think Rek'Sai's got a little bit too much going with her like burrowing mechanics and the uh,
1: But still, you know, I the- I but still, I would of the last 20 champions they made, I think, you know, Jinx, Rek'Sai, Bram uh are on the easy side okay, and they're not saying. even yeah, and they're not even that all they're not even all that easy. Um so, but yeah, I think I think this new Taric is actually not tough. I think he's pretty Bram level. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, no,
0: I, I, I agree. Um, I think his stun's definitely harder to, um, I think, I think it's neat because there's like a level of like, you know, with his, a lot of power comes out of his W, which, uh, if those at home don't know. You place a shield in the ally, and then when you are within... Well, to just...
1: uh, We we should probably go through his abilities real quick. All right, to go through his abilities real quick, his passive is Bravado, which is every time he uses an ability, his next two basic attacks are... He he just doubles... He, like, double taps you, basically, right? Um, And they reduce his cooldowns. Um, This actually has a very interesting scaling mechanic that I want to talk about later. Um the Q is uh, an AOE heal based on himself. It generates charges um, to make it heal more for the same mana cost. So you're incentivized to wait, you know, 40 seconds to hit your heal rather than every 15 seconds because it would otherwise sink your mana. Um, his W gives as a passive, it gives him armor. As an active, it gives um, whatever champion he he links it to a shield equal to you know, some of his uh some of his max health, I believe. Uh and it also links him and that champion so that whenever Taric casts an ability, that champion also casts that ability as if they were Taric. Uh A lot like Lulu has with her uh, with her picks passive, right? Where if she puts picks on another champion, she can use it, or like picks on a minion, she can use it to cast Glitter Lance uh, from that minion, kind of thing. Uh, the E is a line skill shot that charges up over one second. Uh, you can move as though it's a Darius Q, and then anything in that line area, kind of like a Zerath line, uh, gets stunned for scaling amount of seconds and then his ultimate which is the kind of crazy part of his kit uh after 2.5 after a certain number of seconds right um you and any champions in a nearby pba to radius uh are immune to damage a la kale ult uh this obviously triggers with his w so that two zones effectively can be made for invulnerability um so anyway his w yeah, so I, I was going to say like the, the the
0: play around his W is interesting cuz um it makes you think about like like I think in particular the the E like you can use that okay and like aim aim with like your stun and kind of like take wherever your partner's stun goes as kind of like a a benefit but because it always aims towards your mouse like the advanced play around where you point your mouse cuz like if, like, let's say you and your, um, partner are, are in a line, if you place the mouse in between you two, the stuns fire inwards, but if you place it, like, beyond your, your partner, you'll both fire in the same direction, um, I think that level of complexity gives him a lot more depth and nuance and, and advanced level play, um, without sacrificing his ease of playability for, for players, for, you know, for situations you can't think that hard, um. I also think one of the key things about his kit that, that really introduces a an important weakness is the fact that there is that, um, couple seconds of non invincibility for the invincibility procs. Because I've been in a lot of games where you see the tarek the start to cast the, the the invincibility and you just focus murder the person before before it can go off and it's as ineffective. So you know the, the kind of timing I think is a is a very important skill and. Even though it's not mechanically intensive, it's still it's still a, a high decision making point, which I, I think is I think is, is a different
1: type of difficulty that's good for a different type of player. Yeah, I definitely think Tarek is a champion that a new player could pick up and do fine with, right? Um, if 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 a it, like he has a a pretty high skill floor is is how we would describe this kind of thing, right? Uh, whereas. Um, his skill ceiling is actually also pretty high, because I think there is a lot of nuance to doing exactly what you said, right? Like, using the mouse cursor with the du- to hit this double stun to get twice the area for it. Uh, using, um, you know, sw- swapping in and out of Bastion. Um, between allies correctly using your Q cooldown reduction correctly. Uh, I actually want to talk about that Q for a second because I think it's actually a really interesting point, And I really, really hope they implement this kind of mechanic on other champions. Um, initially, when he was on the PBE, Tarek's passive, when he procced an ability, right? It would reduce all of his cooldowns by two seconds. One for each hit, right? This... Uh, it may not. It may not seem this way, but this actually scales incredibly well with CDR because of if you think about like if you think about those seconds as a percentage of the cooldown, right? Um, when I have a twenty second cooldown and I have forty percent CDR, which brings me down to a twelve second cooldown, right? Um, when I'm at at twenty seconds, when I'm hitting auto attack, auto attack, and those both reduce one percent, one of my one second off of that cooldown. That's five percent per hit. Right, um, and so you're you're getting basically ten percent CDR off of hitting these auto like autos correctly kind of thing, right? Uh, but when you do that on the twelve second cooldown, you're actually going. Um, uh, math in my head, 8%, right? 8% per... Yeah, uh,
0: you're getting a much better... 8% product. per
1: tap, so you're getting 16% effective you know CDR from these double tats, It scales multiplicatively like, multiplicatively like that when you scale down with CDR. So what they did is they actually removed that multiplicative scaling um, so that instead of having it scale from... You know, instead of having it be one-to-one uh, no matter what kind of thing so when you go from 20 second from a 20 second cooldown to a 12 second cooldown you're going from five percent to eight percent what they have it now do is as you gain more cdr the amount of cooldown scales down so at 20 seconds um you have five percent you have one second and at 12 seconds you have 0.6 i guess uh Point six seconds, which is obviously 1.2 seconds, which is still 10% of that 12-second cooldown. I think that change is beautiful, and I think it's super smart, and they have already implemented it on Misfortune, which I think is great, and I would love, love, love to see this kind of uh, mechanic implemented on other champions, what are they uh, you know, like it on Misfortune. Uh, on her on her W oh, okay. uh, her her attack speed combo thing scales down with uh, with when you trigger her passive by like one second okay. but that also scales down with CDR um, I think it just makes balancing less of a just nightmare for uh, designers most of all um, but it also you know it, it's not like CDR is bad obviously it just it means that CDR is less like ridiculously effective on these kinds Fair. of champions.
0: Fair fair, yeah. I, I think um, that's definitely true. Um,
1: but yeah, apparently Tarek is too strong. Medler said that he's going to get nerfed, uh, pretty soon. So what what do
0: you, you know? What they think is too strong about him?
1: No, they said uh, you know specifically that they haven't gotten. I don't know that that they haven't figured out where specifically he's off uh, to a crazy start, but. That it's somewhere is the answer.
0: Mm. That's fair. Um, I was going to say, I personally like the, the, the charge, the charges on the heal Cause I think it's a neat mechanic where if you really need to heal, you just like spam it like a motherfucker and try and get, you know, your, your buddy out in an intense situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're, if you're, if you're calm and you're more like in a sustained situation, like in lane, you can just kind of heal um, every once in a while. And, and and get kind of that increased effect, that increased mana to heal ratio, which I think is a cool way to design around the kind of the the combat healer. Because if you make heals too good, then um, then you know, then over time, you know, or if you make heals too good instantaneously to heal in combat, it just kind of like makes it too. That means you could span a little bit more overall, and it just doesn't work out as well. And I, I think this is a good compromise for that.
1: Yeah, I definitely, uh, I definitely feel that. I definitely. Agree with you. Um, But that's all I really have to say about the Tarek rework. Um, So I'm just going to do by the mid-season. Do you have the mid-season magic page open? I do. I assume we're going to
0: talk about the magical updates first.
1: Yeah, uh, the magical updates. Uh, there's obviously six big champions who are getting a big hit, uh, and then a couple of it looks like eight smaller champions who are also getting a hit. I do have the surrender at twenty page open so that I can see the specific numbers. But um, okay, um, the uh, just looking at Malzahar because he's first up. Um, um,
0: could you the, actually link me that surrender at twenty page that way? I yeah, can... sure,
1: wonderful. I can do that. Uh, it is there. We go, baboosh. Thank you, um, Malzahar who is a champion I know and love, uh, has has actually not even really been changed all that much looking at the specifics of his numbers. Really what they did is they removed his W um, and kind of attached it to his ult. His W, which used to do kind of ticking max health damage, um, and replaced it with his passive right his passive used to be obviously uh that every couple of casts he would summon a voidling now his w is on cast He uh, when he casts his w he summons a voidling and if that voidling kills a unit or attacks a champion or a large monster or whatever um more voidlings spawn and as more voidlings spawn they they get stronger and stronger and stronger um they also have better uh ai which i think is a big thing uh but, yeah. Um, and then and, and the biggest thing that they have changed on his kit, which I actually think is going to be the most interesting and change the way Malzahar is played most, uh, is that they've actually removed the ridiculous damage from his ultimate. Yeah. They've basically put the old null zone on his ultimate. Um, and powered it up a whole bunch. Uh, it now does much more max health damage. But the old ultimate used to just be such a single target nuke. You could just ult someone. You know, the you, late game you ult a carry. And you don't need Malefic vision. You don't need anything else. They're just fucking That dead.
0: person doesn't get to play League of Legends today. In the words uh, of Trin' Yeah, uh, exactly.
1: And uh, and so now that person still doesn't get to play League of Legends, but they don't necessarily die, which is a big change. I think uh, it also creates a zone around them, which makes it better for team fights. Malzahar kind of uh, explicitly used to be pretty shitty at team fights because uh, you had to land his tough to land Q or his. Uh, small area w to get like aoe damage off which is a big you know, th- that's a big cornerstone of what it means to be a mage right to have kind of big aoe damage in teamfights like that uh and so this nether grasp allows him to do that in a more uh straightforward kind of way
0: you think he's getting back all the power that he's losing
1: when he's um I really don't know. I even I, It's tough because looking at the Void Swarm or whatever um, from his W, uh, it is harder to parse how much damage is going towards... The Void Swarm. The Void Swarm, yeah. right? It feels like a full combo Malzahar is going to be doing more damage, right? Because the, just the Void Swarm is just so much more powerful. Um... The, uh, the other thing, so the damage on his Q got reduced a little bit, but the, but, um, uh, I, I actually looked at looking at it also on his E, um,
0: yeah, the, the, the second part on his E where, like, it, even though it does less damage, it gets refreshed if you use a Q or an R on him, I, I think, I think I missed that part the first time around, that seems like a, a, a more counter playable, I guess, way to, to kind of increase his power.
1: Uh, really? I don't think that it's actually kind of less counterplayable, as far as I see it. A good, it, I like it as a Bowser player because, especially like early game, you your ease fall off when they can't kill a full like sure. kill a full minion wave or whatever. Um, but I think that it will. Uh, uh, the reason I say it, it, it seems like
0: more counterplayable is like before, if they got the E on you, you were taking that much damage, and that that was kind of it. Um, in this case, if you've got the you, you, you've got the opportunity to, to one dodge the Q because that's a very dodgeable skill, right. and two, like maybe hang back to avoid getting R'd, Um to get to avoid getting ulted.
1: That's fair. I, I what I like about it is that you, if you hit somebody with an E, a flash R, you know, like if you hit somebody with an E, your flash R refreshing the duration uh, is very powerful against right. that that single player. Um, I also think that his new passive, which we haven't talked about yet, is also super strong because it's whenever he, um, whenever he hasn't taken damage or been crowd control for 24 scaling down to 6 seconds, he gains 90% damage reduction and crowd control immunity lingering for 1 second uh, after taking or blocking that CC effect, which is actually super strong on Malzahar because it means that a void shift Malzahar can ult someone without being immediately knocked out of it by Peel uh, which is a big danger in those team fight scenarios and one of the reasons I don't think Malzahar sees professional play because professional players are so good at seeing this kind of thing um, that they would basically uh, you know your Janna would just instantly remove that CC from you by CCing Malzahar Uh, Malzahar being able to ignore that means a lot I think
0: yeah. Also, it kind of makes him makes him very hard to gank, which I think is a good thing because I think I, I I feel like because his R doesn't do as much damage, she lacks the kind of like dual dueling punch that he used to have. Where like you yeah, you could definitely, go, you could go all in and kill someone. I don't think that's really possible anymore. But on the same token, their jungler like you need two CC abilities to to CC Malzahar in 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 the lane now.
1: Um. Yeah. uh I. You know. Interestingly, looking at it. I think Voidlings are actually going to be pretty good. I think Voidlings are going to be pretty good, and they're going to be pretty freaking strong if you can get them off. Um, especially because the uh, the cooldown is so long. But it has a 5% AP ratio, which doesn't sound like a lot. But if you're summoning three or more, and they're gaining 100% attack speed, um, and they last for 12 seconds, like 12 seconds... And they automatically target, and they gain 100% movement speed whenever you're using Nether Grasp or Malefic Visions on somebody. That's nuts. You know, if you get male- Malefic Grasp on somebody, and then you proc your Void Swarm, or, God forbid, right, you proc your Void Swarm, you get two or three of them up, and then you hit them with a Malefic Visions, that's a ton of damage coming in. Yeah. Um, um, how, do you know what the cooldown is on Void Swarm? I. I, I, I... It is 18 seconds. I'm actually looking at the better better page for updated numbers, which I will link you right now. Okay, because um, or I won't because my mumble's broken. But um, uh, I I actually do think that's going to be kind of. I think that's a very counterplayable ability um, uh, to a certain extent. You know, just running away really hardcore from that thank and you. making sure you don't get the uh, the malefic visions casted on you. Um,
0: I, I actually think too this is going to be cool because if you've noticed, they haven't gotten rid of AD Malzahar. So that's still going to be
1: viable. <laughs> it's not as viable, which I like a lot because eighty eighty thousand heart gives me cancer. <laughs> um, the uh, um, they also uh, gain health more kind of steadily, which I like. Uh, in that they gain health per champion level. So I, I imagine they're pretty easy to kill early game. This is how this this is how they tend to do this kind of thing with like. Uh, uh, the turrets on Heimerdinger's turrets, Uh, his defense is actually scaled with champion level, so that as you get late game, they're actually pretty resilient and tough, Uh, but in the early game, it's pretty easy to take them down, Um, and I think that that's that's good for, like, laning purposes, so to speak.
0: Yeah. The the, the only other thing to point out about the Void Puppies is that they also multiply on, um, they also multiply on, 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 what is it, monsters or epic monsters or whatever.
1: Yeah, I imagine they might actually take out that monsters bit. Uh, yeah, because he has had some really crazy jungle stuff going on uh, when it comes to that, and I don't think that they'll want to see this kind of jungle play from Malzahar. But uh, you know, maybe I don't know. Maybe maybe they yeah. do want to make him a little was, bit of a jungler. I
0: was gonna say if if I can't see them specifically putting a large monster in there without wanting jungle Malzahar to be a thing, like that just that actually seems like a, a kind of neat place for this for. Rather, if they wanted to do this, this seems like a neat place to for like an off build Malzahar because in the jungle, you know you uh, you're you're not going to have enough time, I guess to 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 charge your void shift the whole the whole way usually between camps. But mm-hmm. like when you're coming in for a gank, you might you certainly be able to to kind of like wait out that extra little time to come in and not be like not have your gank denied immediately and make up for the fact that you don't have a lot of mobility.
1: The thing I think that they will. I, I, I... I agree that I think they do want Jungle Malzahar to be an off-build or whatever, but uh, this basically means that Malzahar... As long as he has Void Swarm up, Malzahar doesn't take damage from jungle camps. It's kind of the Elise problem... Where, you know, Elisa's spiderlings take so well for her in the jungle. Uh, Maybe this is something that, you know, the jungle champs do so much damage that they'll burn through these voidlings before it really goes nuts. Um, I don't know. I haven't seen the specifics of it. I've just heard kind of in passing on Reddit, on Twitter and stuff, that uh, Malzahar's camp uh, clear speed is pretty ridiculous.
0: Mm. Well, we'll... uh We'll see how. Well, I guess we'll have to wait till life to see how that turns out.
1: Uh, yeah, I guess we will. Uh, the next champ in the list is Brand. Uh, the big change to Brand: basically, all of his skills are remaining functionally the same. Right, the numbers are different, but the functions are basically the same, except for his passive, um, which is now a stacking passive, and this is basically like the coolest change in the world. I actually think this. I like this. I like this update.
0: Oh, but kind of body, body—it's a three-stack passive body.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. Um, yeah, I, I, I actually I know, like it a lot too. Um, um, it, it, so it's it's worse than what it used to be. It really seems like they're targeting support brand, um, where uh, instead of it being eight percent over four seconds, just basic, uh, anytime you hit a skill, eight percent over four seconds, it's two percent max health over four seconds. Um, but it stacks up to three times, and when Blaze reaches max stacks on a champion or large monster, uh, the Blaze becomes unstable, and it detonates in two seconds, dealing, uh, it looks like 12, scaling up, so it's 12 plus a half per champion level, which will scale up to 21% of max HP, holy fuck, plus a 1.5% per 100 AP, uh, a P-ratio of each nearby champion's maximum health, right? So if you detonate, like, if if there's an Amumu ult and you detonate this, and in the two seconds of that Amumu ult, you can get, twenty, you know, at level 18, 21% of all five champions max health damage. That's ridiculous. Um, uh, Oh, actually, sorry. It maxes out at level 9 at 16%. um, Uh, it's It's still a lot of health. It is still, exactly, it is still a lot of freaking HP. Um, and then the the rest of the changes siphon this power out of uh, some of his other stuff. The stun duration from his Q is lowered to 1.5. It does a little bit less damage. Um, the W, uh, his his Pillar of Flame uh, cooldown, uh, actually goes, the, the mana cost is better and the cooldown reduction is better. The damage is the same. His Conflagration, which is E, which is what? Support uh brand used to take advantage of just walking up to somebody and hitting them with conflagration to do a whole bunch of damage with his passive um that cooldown is being lowered uh the damage the base damage is being reduced and the ap ratio is being reduced and then his r damage is being reduced uh by quite a lot but it now slows uh by 30 to 45 to 60 percent and it prioritizes stacking blaze on champions which i think is a really neat mechanic um I don't know. I think I think new Malzahar will be really cool and really powerful I in the right you. team comps. I think that that kind of Amumu Wombo combo team comp where, um, you know, I I've talked about Wombo. I, maybe I haven't talked about this on the passive or in, on the podcast, but I've talked about Wombo combo comps before in a context of like typically you need initiation, right? You need Malphite ultimate to to. Or your Malphite Ultimate, Amumu Ultimate to kind of lock everybody in place, right? Um, and then you need a damage source, which is like, you know, Misfortune Bullet Time or Katarina, uh, Katarina Ultimate. This is going to be a fantastic damage source for those kinds of team comps. Um, so, yeah. I'd i, don't, I don't also really hopefully destroy, just completely murder, support brand, because that gives me cancer and I don't like it. Uh, <laughs> no,
0: I, I'm excited for the change too. Um, I would think, though, that, like, the, the de-emphasis on AP scaling would make, I mean, I guess it'll make support brand weaker anyway.
1: Well, I think the, the AP scaling, uh, they, they de-emphasize AP scaling on the Q and the E because they can up it. And, on, and on, the on the R, passive. Because uh, they up they gave him an AP scaling on his passive. That's he fair. has five damaging abilities, so having, having hardcore AP scaling on all of them is a little... Um, yeah, um, that's
0: fair. All right. Well, I think I think you've said most of anything that you can be said about brand. Um, what can I say? I'm excited. Yeah, I am too. No, it's 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 very much like you turn people into bombs. Hooray! Um, I'm the only thing I'm a little bit maybe not concerned about, but um, the thing that I think is going to be tough to see how it plays out in reality is how easy it is to keep people clumped so that the passive goes off because there's a two second fuse on it, um, and so a mindful player will be able to spread out. Um, and a mindful team, I guess, with, with, for you know, I, I, this isn't the case. I guess with most Wombo combo comps, is you stay spread out so that the Wombo combo can't can't go off on you. Um, yeah. It'll be interesting to see how 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 well that that plays out in live play. Uh,
1: I also think a part of that is actually very good because you know, obviously, twelve percent whatever, sixteen percent scaling with CDR um, or not CDR with AP is a very powerful um change right in in this in the sense that like because it has this 2 second fuse it is allowed to be devastating in a clumped team comp scenario and it is allowed to be good in a single target scenario which is kind of like I think the I I think it's like the perfect version of it you want it to be good but because there's this huge there's there's that bit of counterplay where you can just run away um from your from your allies to hopefully not proc it on everyone um they they actually it gives them kind of the license it gives them the power budget to really send send the numbers kind of like in through the insane roof level
0: that's fair yeah so that's neat but uh yeah, moving on to Vladimir, I suppose is next. Yes, yes. Um, first thing I will say, well, let, let's let's go through the abilities as I scroll through to the uh, the surrender at twenty update on him. But his passive is um simple. It's uh every bonus health gives Vlad- Vladimir ability power, and every point of ability power gives Vladimir bonus health. Um, does not stack with itself because it never stacks with itself. But I think that's really neat. Um, I think. Um, I think this is the champion I'm most concerned about like getting out of control, but going on, uh Transfusion is pretty much the same, right? It's uh I understand this Crimson is Crimson Rush a mechanic that's on live. I don't play. Crimson much Rush is
1: a mechanic that is being added. Okay Um honestly I think that this mechanic is being added because um uh, right now Vladimir is very tuned around spell vamp as an item and so he's built to kind of spam Qs to keep his health up. Um and I think that this change is there, uh, like Crimson Rush or whatever, is there to make sure that his uh, transfusions are still healing him for a whole bunch.
0: Yeah, so can you explain to me ex- exactly what, what this what this means? So I'll, re- I'll read the ability text out. Vladimir Translate from his target after casting Transfusion twice, Vladimir gains Crimson Rush for a few seconds. The next time Transfusion is available to cast, granting him bonus movement speed and bonus damage. Does that mean like every third cast of transfusion is is more powerful? So yeah,
1: it's. I, I think every third cast of it, basically, I think what it what it wants you to do is you cast transfusion twice. Um, uh, so basically, transfusion is a very low counter play game. It's so point and click, obviously. Um, a lot of the times in top lane. You use transfusion exclusively on the enemy top laner. What this seems to suggest, um, as because the heal and the damage are being lowered in a base version, but it's getting this like super empowered version, is that you just cast transfusion twice on the minions. It's not going to do that much for you against champions anyway. Who cares? But then you get crimson rush, and you can run up to somebody and just smash them uh, for that one hundred percent increased damage, uh, healing for a bunch for you know your missing health, which scales up with AP um, and extra just like an extra flat amount um of healing the, the the other half of this is the healing is halved against minions so it's it seems clear to me that they want you not to worry about using transfusion on champions all the time and that really it's this crimson crimson rush um healing that's important
0: so it seems kind of like a a weird yasuo cue
1: yeah it definitely is it yeah it definitely seems like that yasuo uh kind of thing to me Especially because when you trigger you trigger Crimson Rush, the next time that your Q is available to cast, right? Um, which means that you cast Q twice, you fill up that resource bar. The enemy champion sees the resource bar, but they actually kind of have to count down your cooldown in order to figure out when it's coming up, because the Crimson Rush doesn't actually proc until the nine seconds after that charge up has happened.
0: Yeah, no, I think I think that's it's really, I think that, I think it's good in that it allows for like both counterplay and, uh, cause it, it's dodging for 2.5 seconds. Essentially, if you can stay out of range for 2.5 seconds, then it falls off and they don't get the cue on you. It's so, so it's very counter playable. And it's also kind of very skilly cause or, 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 requires some amount of skill cause you need to keep track of when, when that, uh, when that cooldown is going to proc and how far away you need to be to not be rushed down by it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, moving on. Sanguine Pool, I think it's the same that it's ever been, right?
1: Yep. Um, I'm actually kind of glad about this. Uh, in earlier kind of contexts, it was suggested that Sanguine Pool might go away or might change to his ultimate or something along those lines. Um, and I actually think that it is a good ability on his W. I like it on his W, and I want I would want to keep it there. Uh, I would want to do everything I possibly can to keep it there if I was changing Vladimir.
0: Mm. Um, yeah, and then, uh, so, I, I think it's fine, it's a disjoint, They are fewer and far between in League, and I like them for, for that kind of ability, um, and then, uh, the, the E, I'm actually super happy about this change, um, Tides of Blood, um, Vladimir charges up a reservoir of blood, paying a large portion of his maximum health over a period of time to increase the Tides of Blood damage on release or after a couple of seconds, Vladimir unleashes Sphere of Blood, dealing mag- magic damage at full charge. Tides of Blood slows Vladimir while he holds it, and will briefly slow targets when, by uh, slow targets by when he releases it. Uh, looks like Riot needs a copy editor. Um, uh, yeah, but I am very happy about this change because I hated the old version, which was essentially like. To me, it was always like no skill spam e. Oh my god, I am dying, and there's nothing I can do about it. Fuck this champion.
1: I think that is a very accurate portrayal of uh, of what uh, the the old uh, the old Vladimir was like. I think, to a certain extent, I am sad about it because it removes this. It removes Vlad from this kind of place of uh, he's uh, he's like an elongated team fight battle mage. Um, uh, to use their new terminology uh, for subclasses or whatever, where, like, Vladimir is built to kind of wade into the fight and make sure that Ties of Blood hits as many people as possible and it has a really low cooldown, and you just spam it and spam it and spam it, and as you spam it, it stacks up and does more and more damage kind of thing. Uh, I kind of miss that uh, there's that aspect to Vladimir. Now he has... Uh, his cooldowns, you know, aren't amazingly long or whatever, but... He he's not, it's not as spammable as it once was, um, and that, that kind of makes him a little bit more along the lines of, like, a burst mage than, like, this kind of fighter mage.
0: Yeah. Um, Well, yeah, it's, it's different. Like I said, I enjoy it because I don't like, um, so the kind of battle mage I think also kind of, it's kind of weird given his ult, which is the same Hema Plague, um, because human plague is, is kind of like a zed ult that amplifies damage over time or d- damage while it's while it's up, and a burst that, that seems to fit more with a burst mage type of design philosophy than with than with a sustained mage. So I feel like one of them had to change. Either the E needed to be more bursty or the ult needed to be more of a sustained mage ult, If that makes sense.
1: Really, I don't. F- I feel like it's not uh, well because it amplifies damage dealt over the course of like four seconds. Um. Mm. So you four seconds is a long. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a it's a long time compared to like a Lux or a Vagar who do deal all of their damage sub one second, right?
0: That's fair. That's fair. It just always seems to me that these damage champs want want a lot of damage very quickly rather than rather than a sustained
1: fight. I mean, I feel like that's almost counterintuitive because if you want a lot of damage really quickly, what's the point of having the ultimate? Yeah, that's anyway? that's,
0: that's fair. That's fair. Right.
1: This is something I see novice Zed players do a lot. I play a lot of Zed, obviously. Um, where, as a Zed player, you don't in the late late game, you don't need to use your ultimate on the eighty carry, right? That it's actually kind of worse to do so because. If you use your ultimate on the AD carry, it's basically a gap closer because you're going to kill them with your combo anyway, right? Um, it's better to use your ultimate on, you know, like somebody who's a little bit more durable, like a fighter or something like that, uh, in order to guarantee you get that damage, you get that fighter, that tank down, um, than it is to use it on the AD carry. Uh, and especially because AD carries can just cleanse that with QSS. Though that's changing. Next patch, maybe. Um. Yeah, appa- because QSS only affects uh, uh, CC abilities like Warwick's ult or Malzahar's ult, rather than Grand Challenge on Fiora and uh, and Zed.
0: Yeah, that'll be interesting. I'll be interested to see that change play out, but that's that's not set in stone yet. Um, and we are running perilously close to the end of this cast. So moving right. on, I'm
1: sure we can get through these. I'm sure we can get to- through these mages, though. Yeah. Uh, the next champion is is. Zyra, um, her passive has changed, which I like a lot because her old passive was super dumb. Her new passive is a lot like uh, we where every couple of seconds she spawns a seed nearby, um, which allows her to you know, she, like the the function of her mechanics are basically the same, right? She casts abilities on her seeds; those seeds then you know become plants that do damage or whatever. But now she can get all of these different seeds. Planted in a in a zone uh, just by her passive, uh, just by waiting for, you know, however many seconds for that thing to, uh, yeah. for that thing to happen. Uh, her Q has changed in that the attack, like the hitbox of it, is no longer a circle on the ground like with Syndra. It is now um, a rectangle that is perpendicular to her. It's um, like a Malzahar Q. Which is, like, which is like Malzahar Q, which allows her to kind of hit seeds that are kind of in interesting ways. I actually think that this is a good, it's, it's a good change, and it's a very little change that makes it easier, or it makes it more interesting to place kind of dynamically positioned plants, which I think is kind of neat. Um, the damage is also down a little bit. Uh, less AP ratio. You know, whatever. But it affects uh,
0: larger area, so I think that's a good, that's a good trade-off.
1: I think it's a good trade-off, too. Plus, I think her plants are just kind of... She she has more options for plants now uh, because she no longer has to combo her plants with her W in order to get them up. Um, uh, her W is basically the same uh, where the seeds... Uh, they don't give vision or anything. They don't give enemies vision when squished. But the, as a passive, it does increase their maximum health and it allows her to instantly plant a seed uh, rather than her, uh, rather than waiting for her passive to trigger one in the right place. This is obviously an important aspect of her kit, because I do think she needs to be able to kind of on-demand place seeds. Um, And uh, she also, by the way, uh, apparently stores a seed every 17 seconds. I don't know if that's a max thing, because it doesn't seem to be a max thing, um, but... I don't know. Maybe it does. Uh, I guess we'll have to see, kind of in game. And then Stranglethorn. So her grasping e has not changed the the snare and Stranglethorn's her knock up has not changed, except for instead of increasing attack speed of plants within the ultimate, it increases their damage by one hundred and fifty percent. Yeah, which, which is a, an effect that I never saw anybody
0: actually use. Um, like the knock up was always used just for the knock up, and like if there was a plant in the area, that was just kind of like a. The, a, yeah, a, like nice a to have, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, don't I, know definitely if, agree. I don't know if this will change that, but I think it's definitely a little bit more motivating. Um, So it'll be interesting to see see how, how that works out.
1: I think they're really gearing Zyra up to be a long-term zone mage right yeah, There are certain sense. zone mages right now that exist. Uh, you know, obvious examples are like Heimerdinger or someone like... Uh, you know, Ziggs is very much a zone mage. Uh, but... Ziggs is a very fleeting zone mage in that he can move his zone around pretty quickly without too much trouble because, you know, obviously his zone is just his uh his satchel charge and the the Uh, minefield or whatever. Um, But Zyra, you know, she has to kind of invest time in her zone, which I appreciate. She has to stick around that dragon pit, wait for her seeds to spawn, and then create, you know, just like a huge thicket of plants that people have to wade through. And that's when Zyra's at her, at her, you know, most powerful, right? Uh, But when Zyra is, you know, just, when when, when Zyra is moving around the map, she doesn't have as much on-demand power as someone like, you know, Lux, whose on-demand power is entirely on her kit all the time. Um, yeah, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Um, But, yeah, I, I think, uh, uh, honestly, I think the biggest change is going to be with Bottom Lane. These changes, to me, read kind of friendly to Bottom Lane. Yeah, I uh, agree. Because more seeds, more plants means that... Uh, I feel... I feel like it all mid, it, can go on. It, it's it's harder to do that in mid lane um, because of just how that lane is set up and how short it is in general. Um, that I feel as though... Kind of creating creating a zone or creating like a thicket of plants to wade through doesn't give you as much of a benefit because it's pretty easy to just run back to your tower when you're getting ganked, kind of a thing. Um, but in bottom lane, that's a big deal, right? And if you can create this unmovable mass of plants in the middle of a lane, uh, in a long lane like that, that's that's real strong, I think.
0: I also think it's gonna be great, or it's gonna be great for discouraging ganks. Like a jungler comes in and you just throw down, you, you throw down your ult. And then if you've got your any of your plants planted up or you store your skills up to plant up the plants, that just means that, like, anybody caught in that is going to get, like, fucked by the plants that are coming out. Of it. And even if they don't, you've got a lot of time to get away. Well, yeah, definitely agree.
1: Yep, I definitely agree with that. She's going to be a more damage-focused Janna, I think.
0: Yeah, um, that makes whereas sense.
1: Whereas Janna, you know, like, Janna buffs up people or whatever, but is also very disengaging. I think Zyra is very, is very uh, damage-focused, but also very disengaging
0: yeah all right so uh next on our list is velcos sorry to kind of push it through but we're uh, i didn't have anything else to yeah. say. uh velcos Velkaz's changes are all kind of like uh the well what's the what's the difference um most of it seems the same right organic deconstruction is about the same isn't it
1: it has an ap ratio now okay. which is cool uh but the big thing is that the R no longer applies it on its ticks, which is well I guess we'll get to that later yeah
0: so the the, the difference with the Q is that um, it ref, it, refunds, it refunds mana on unit killed, which is good for for I think it's good for him because I think he, he used to have some some mana management problems, so I think this is good and the that target be, indica-
1: especially if you kill especially if you kill two units, you get all of them yeah back.
0: And I think this is actually really cool. Target indicator is only visible for Velkaz, so it's much yep. harder to dodge, or it's much less easy to predict where it's going to go. Which I think will do a lot, of, a lot for him.
1: I think that is the like single, like craziest change uh, that has been made to Velkaz.
0: Yeah, um, W and E are most of the same, except for reduced ratios, um, which is what it is. I think it's to take power off of that because the big new thing on the on the ultimate is that even even though it does not apply stacks of organic deconstruction, if it's already deconstructed when you fire it, it deals true damage, which is crazy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you're right. Um, yes, yes, that is true, actually. Yeah. Um, and so that will, hold, like, I feel like they took the power off of the E and the W. Um, that way they can put it on the R and it's going to require a little bit more setup from Velkaz. It's, it's not just going to be like, like, laser, 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 laser. But I think it's I th- I think it's I think it adds a cool bit of more play to him. And I think it's going to um, empower him to be very powerful. It um, kind of deal with like he's very immobile, and the, the ability to kind of like while while they're closing in on you, you've got maybe like a second to put three stacks on it and then try and like uh, laser them down. I think that's going to be really cool, really good, and really cool.
1: Uh, I definitely agree with that. I think he kind of sits with brand on this list as almost like a hyper carry mage. I really feel as though they chewed out a lot of the utility almost on his kit in order to up the like the impact of his damage. Yeah, um, I don't think this is you know like this is a champion that I feel like rushing tons of ability power on is going to be ridiculous, right? Like, um, I don't know. I I feel like I feel like the days of you know this this Rylai's, uh Leandri's Velcos are probably going away because the true damage on R is obviously, like, unaffected by that. And what you really want to do is you just want to set up for just the biggest, splashiest, most powerful uh, lasers that you possibly can make because that'll just turn a fight around yeah. if, you know, you land it right. Not, like, not only
0: is it going to be true damage if you land it right, they've increased the damage by a lot
1: and they increased the AP ratio from 0. 0.6 to one, one. And they and they and they uh, and they lowered the cooldown. Like, so Jesus Christ! They, released, they poured a ton of power yeah. into this ultimate. Um, honestly, I think that the old ultimate was using a flawed design concept, which was functionally um, the old ultimate used this design concept, which was that like no matter how strong Velkaz was, you had. No, like, you had to. Um, no matter strong, how strong vilkas was, you had to do damage on him because it just had really high base damages and everything like that. This one, I feel like you have to unlock that power a lot more than you than you needed to before uh, in order to have the ult to do, like, ri- ridiculous stuff. But it's going to be doing ridiculous stuff, right? No matter what. Yeah. Um,
0: it's so. going to be one of those things where you deconstruct a high prior target. And then you can alt the whole team anyway, and still get a moderate amount of damage on everybody else. But you'll really fuck your deconstructed target.
1: Yeah. Yep. I definitely. Uh, I definitely agree with that. Uh, the next mage on the list. Oh, is Cassiopeia. Cassiopeia has some real interesting changes. Uh, her passive is uh, I, it's apparently trait. Yeah, but just, snakes don't need boots. She cannot buy boot items, or well, she can. They just. Uh, she does not gain movement speed from boot items uh, anymore. Uh, her Q is functionally the same um, in the sense of you hit the ground and it applies a small poison. Um, though there are, I think, ratio changes. Let's look real quick. Uh, the mana cost is up a little bit, uh, the cooldown is down. Uh, the damage, is, the AP ratio, and the base damage have both been increased by a whole bunch, and it scales better with her movement speed. Um, um, just just to correct you for a second, it says that Cassiopeia cannot buy boots.
0: So even if you wanted that like eleven 1, hundred gold, oh wow, spell really? Pen, Fair enough. You, you can't you can't even buy it for that. Sounds good. Even to though me. that's the you know less effective, it's it's impossible.
1: Um, her miasma, which is her W, has changed a lot, which is real crazy. Um now she spews Venom in this arc, so she kind of creates this, like, at max range, a bunch of little pools of poison, right? But while you are suffering from that poison, you are grounded, which means you cannot use movement like abilities, right? You can't flash or blink or do anything uh while you have that poison on you i think that's a really
0: cool mechanic and i hope that they include another champions as well oh
1: man me too i love it i think it's super neat it's super interesting uh actually people have been talking about how it's powerful i actually don't think it's all that powerful right because you still can move and you know cast abilities and stuff like that it just it really destroys certain high mobility champions which i think league has kind of a weakness to uh to a certain extent right if you can if you can create basically uh uh uh, if you can create a world where you know half of the silences in the game or something like that are replaced with this ability um the league is a very different game for champions like lucian and you know ezreal and leblanc if you try and dash into it do you get your full dash or do you like stop at the edge i haven't i haven't actually seen um i really don't know
0: huh I, I, de- I would imagine
1: you get your full dash, yeah. But maybe, maybe you don't. I don't know how it. Uh, yeah, I just, I have no idea how that applies. Uh, her twin fang removes essentially all of the clunkiness out of it. I think um, the mana cost is up a tiny, or uh, it's actually just changed. It's. Higher at low ranks, lower at high ranks, um, and the cooldown is just basically .9 seconds. What it used to be was when you cast it on a poison target, the cooldown was essentially zero seconds, Um, so you could just machine gun out these, uh, these twin fangs. Now, you can just always machine gun out these twin fangs, but the damage is really, really, really low. Uh, unless they are affected by a poison. Okay. Uh, and if they're affected by a poison, that's when it starts to just, like, strike for tons and tons of damage. Um, also, it heals her. Also, if she kills units, it refunds the mana cost, so. It seems to be a, a kind Quality of... Quality of life. Yeah. You know, you can CS with your
0: Twin Fang. Uh, and her, uh... The, the other only other big thing is that her Petrifying Grace is less effective against... Against non-optimal targets, ones that aren't facing her, the slowest, yeah. less. Uh, uh
1: so yeah, this is kind of the. Uh, those are the big ones. This is really, this is a real. This is a real weird change. There's a lot going on. Um, to tackle the move, the the boots thing first. Um, and I like how in, uh, I like how the little video that Ryan has for these, her, it's just her moving.
0: Yeah, I, um, I like that, I like that for uh, for Velka or not for Velka it's for Vladimir too. It was passive, just like a very passive static effect, and it, the video is just him dancing. Yeah, <laughs>
1: um, the movement speed on her uh, on her boots or whatever means that she basically frees up a boots. Boots are inefficient gold items; they're inefficient slot items. Uh, it basically means that she can just get six raw AP items, which is nuts. That's crazy talk, uh, and I think it will just kind of. Just this one change alone will get her into that hyper carry power that Cassiopeia has typically lived in for a long time. Um, just because she can get, she doesn't she can get six items. She doesn't need to have boots on, which is which is crazy to me.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's, yeah, it's it's. Cool. I I I would have
1: to do some theory crafting to figure out what like the optimal Cassiopeia build is. Uh, kind of in this, in this new world to get like the most power out of your boots or out of your bootsless life. Um, then obviously we, we've talked a little bit about the grounded thing. Um, I also think that the, the way that this skill is made also makes it tough to land, which I think is going to do a lot for kind of splitting up fights more than it is to make her like a raw team fighter, um, which is kind of how I've always felt Cassiopeia is, just because you know her ultimate is, is much less effective uh, on targets who are facing her. Obviously, this this kind of lends her to be a very situational team fighter, and the new Miasma really changes uh, to make that the case.
0: Yeah, no, I, I I agree entirely.
1: I get the feeling you don't play much Cassiopeia. I don't, not at all. <laughs> I, I just I just don't have a
0: lot to say. I don't have a lot to say about her.
1: Yeah. Uh, I think the new Twin Fangs is also uh, is also very neat. I like that she's basically becoming... She gets that the Karthus benefit of being able to just farm with one of her uh, regular abilities no matter what. Um, I think that that's, that's a big change. Then her ult being unchanged is actually kind of interesting to me because I never really felt like Cassiopeia ult was all that good or bad. It's was always just kind of a blah ability, uh, but clearly they want to keep it up, so that's sure. I guess they can, they can leave that there. Yeah. Um,
0: I'll, I, like I said, I'll, I'll just kind of take your word for it. I, I I'll, I think I've played Cassiopeia once, so I, I really don't have any insight into how, how she works.
1: Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, there's kind of eight more changes. Do we want to run that down? We're already at one, one thirty. What do you want to do? Um. Hmm. I, I think we can do
0: them quickly. Let's, 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 let's shoot for the moon
1: okay cool uh so the first person is annie uh this is basically turning annie this is adding a a a skill cap almost to annie she get her tibbers is way stronger as kind of an operator uh like a just uh okay i'm fucking this up kind of horribly um Tibbers now has a lot of different effects, but he is much less splashy. Uh, the initial AoE damage has been lowered, and uh, the aura damage has also been lowered. A lot, actually. The aura damage uh, uh, has been lowered in like base damages, though its um, uh, ratios also went down now Tibbers auto attack scales with Annie's AP and it's more about keeping Tibbers up in a fight and having Tibbers do the right thing in a fight um Tibbers enrages and gains 275% attack speed 100% move speed um uh, when he is summoned when Annie dies and when Annie stuns a target so I think Tibbers lasting 45 seconds or whatever and you being able to proc stuns while Tibbers is up Tibbers is up is a more valuable thing uh for her overall. Um and
0: yeah, and now uh Tibbers doesn't die when Annie dies.
1: Yeah. Which is which is uh, neat. in uh, her you know also her molten shield thing uh which I don't quite like or get. Uh is where they've seemed to have found the power budget for a lot of this stuff. Um the duration is down to three seconds the armor and it's no longer armor and mr it's just flat dr and it doesn't speed up tibbers anymore so they've really kept this thing a one point wonder i, I don't really know yeah. what else to say about that i mean 40 damage if reduction
0: get, seems pretty powerful to me
1: yeah i mean i guess that's the case uh i i can't really remember the last time i was like oh man i gotta hit that molten shield so i don't get blown up kind of thing yeah uh, also, Tibbers apparently stays up after you die. I don't really know how this mechanic works, but I think it's yeah. kind of neat. Where, when Annie dies, Tibbers enrages after and targets that player uh, that killed Annie's to kind of, like, return kills. I don't know. I haven't seen, uh, I he, haven't seen, like, gains,
0: a video. He gains 50% missing health when Annie dies? I, I There's, like, not enough detail in this, in this blurb for me to figure out what, what the hell's happening. That seems yeah, really powerful.
1: Yep, that seems pretty good. Uh, next on the mid-season list is Swain, who is very much kind of the same Um, his passive is being tweaked being made a little bit more powerful the mana restore on kill Um, the Q, interestingly is now um, a zone so he sends his raven to a zone and then the raven does damage to stuff in that zone dealing double damage, I think this got patched to uh, minions um, rather than the 25 plus, you know, kind of whatever the AP ratio is. The AP ratio has actually got accre- increased uh, basically across the board, uh, and a lot of his base damage has got decreased, which I think positions him more as a traditional mage than as a kind of, like, hybrid mage fighter, which he has been for a long time. Yeah. Um, Ravenous Flock, he now has five ravens, so he's much more dangerous in a team fight scenario uh, because the... Um, the heal against minions has been reduced to 15% from 25%. So in a 5v5 team fight, you are getting back tons of damage and you are dealing tons of damage with Ravenous flock
0: did, did you did you talk about the E-Change at all? I, I,
1: uh, I guess not. Uh, so, is so, a little so, bit more of a one-point wonder.
0: Well, yeah, I would to say, this actually makes it really... This is much better. You no longer have to think about, like, am I going to try and do something silly and get the damage amp up, but it's, it's always 20% of every rank. I think that's a great that's a huge buff right yeah can, i mean put, most
1: most uh, most swains have been maxing e first for a long time yeah. i think now we're gonna see maxing q first right you take one uh, because you could just take w you
0: could just take one point of e and yeah. like and that's great you get most of the effect that you're getting from it anyway um i don't know i am i'm really excited for that that makes me that makes me super super hype um,
1: um good <laughs> i guess i'm glad you're hyped for swain i like swain uh, yeah. i like swain a lot too swain is a champion i played a lot of a long time ago but i don't I haven't played him very much recently. Mm. Uh, Fiddlesticks has a new passive. When he's standing still for 1.5 seconds, he gets a burst of movement speed, which is kind of a weird passive, but I guess I think it makes... It makes him a stronger jungler because he can engage these ganks in a better way.
0: Yeah, I I guess... um, I don't know. Like, I, I, I just... Oh, I... like. I feel like fiddles I feel like this isn't gonna make fiddlesticks great again. Um, I, I feel like fiddlesticks has not been a great place for a while, and I don't think these changes are gonna. No, well, maybe they will. I'm, I'm, uh,
1: the changes on his W are interesting because now you don't just sit there and drain anymore because the cooldown it starts at the end of the cast, um, so you have four to three seconds of downtime between. Uh, Drains where you kind of have to figure figure your shit out. The big change that I think is super powerful is Dark Wind um, bounces seven times from five, which makes it just a more powerful ability.
0: Right, and also you can you can kind of, I think the bigger part of that is you can cast it and then start draining, so then it'll prioritize bouncing to the drain target, so you can get multiple yep. bounces on the same same drain target. Um, so maybe maybe I'm not giving enough credit. We'll see. We'll see how that goes. The next uh, one is Ziggs. I think this change is absolutely fucking bonkers. His (laughs) satchel charge executes turrets at, what is it? Uh, 25, 27.5, 30, 32.5, 35% health. Like, Jesus fuck, what the shit.
1: So I think there's a couple pieces of this. One, such a charge has a very long cooldown base. Two, it's Ziggs' only escape or CC ability. Um, and three, uh, they uh, they peeled off the ability for his um, his Inferno Bomb dealing double damage to minions. I think they the, initially what it was is you had Ziggs and he could just ult a far away minion wave so that you know like. You could just do crazy long-range wave control with Ziggs with his ultimate. You can no longer do that. Um, And now it's meant to, okay, put Ziggs in a lane, start sieging up. If you poke that tower down with Caitlyn, boom, he blows it up. Keep moving kind of thing, right? Yes, Um, But it is also – but like I said, it's also his escape. It's also um, his only CC, uh, like hard CC tool, so – yeah,
0: no. yeah, I guess it makes Mega Inferno more of a more of a combat skill than a like you said like a wave clearing skill. Yeah, um, I, I st- we'll see how it goes. I think it's still crazy. I think that the-
1: I think it's pretty crazy too, <laughs> for the record. Uh, but I like I like it. I think it's a neat change. I think uh, having more interactions with towers, uh, which is something that they've kind of been slowly eking back into the game with stuff like Azir passive, right? Um, is interesting uh trisana's reworked e uh is interesting and something that i want to see you know more of because obviously towers are a big part of the game yeah uh sindra very straightforward um her ap ratio uh on her e goes up and her cooldown on her stun goes down and her passive is changed um the dark sphere uh when she so it used to be when she reached max rank With all of her abilities, they gain different things. Uh, I think her E and her R, the spell width increased by 50% for the stun and the range by 75% for her ultimate, are the same. Um, But now Force of Will grabs two additional spheres, which I think just makes Force of Will the W where she throws a sphere at you or throws a minion at you um, bigger. As an AOE and the dark sphere, which increases the lifetime of spe- of spheres, means that she can get more spheres in per ultimate, which is crazy.
0: Yeah, um, I think it's very straightforward. I think it's neat. Yeah, it's obviously- there's
1: not. I, yeah, I don't really have much else to say about that.
0: Yeah, it's like use your straight buffs. We'll see how it goes. Um, Zerath.
1: Um, Zerath X is Champion. interesting uh, because they say that when su- when Zerath successfully barges the barrages an enemy champion he gains more barrages uh but that doesn't actually seem to be on the pbe i mean maybe maybe it's just different i don't know um he
0: he, he gets the Jin pan out um for his czar which yeah, is good
1: maybe uh, i like that he, I, it's the quality of life thing i like that the camera zooms out for his ultimate like it does with Jin. it's a good change quality of life thing the number of shots increases to three four or five from three at all ranks another good thing uh especially late game i think that just makes his even cooler and more powerful um the damage is down a little bit late levels makes sense he has more he has more barrages yeah
0: Uh, yeah I, i if i had to guess they haven't worked out how they're going to implement the uh the kind of Mechanics of hitting gives you more charges, and they're just doing yeah, this sig- refund
1: of it. Yeah,
0: and, th- and they're 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 trying to see how what the impact of just having the more charges will be. Assume you can hit them.
1: Yeah, um, fair enough. Um, Anivia actually has a lot of changes.
0: Um, uh, a, lot, a, lot a lot of it's like fiddly to... number stuff.
1: Yeah, that's true. A lot of it is uh, fiddly number stuff and, like, weird, like, oh, the cast range is now 600, but it's edge to edge instead of center to center, um, which is roughly a 35 range kind of increase. I think the big flashy change is that the glacial storm now increases in size over three seconds Um, uh, pretty, pretty crazily. It goes from a 150 radius up to a 400 radius um, over three seconds, 400 radius being, you know... 800 units across, which is, like, eight Tmos which is pretty big. Um, and at max size, the damage is slow, increased by an additional 15%, and chills for uh, an additional second. So it's more about setting Nivea up, not for flashes, not for, like, quick bursts of Glacial Storm, but for long, drawn-out periods of Glacial Storm.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah that, that 50% extra damage is, is, is going to be a lot if you can get it to, to proc... Um, the only other big change, I think, is that the Q-Stun particle is not visible to everyone. Um, I think that's good for the game. Straight up. As, as the note says, power hidden behind low clarity is bad. I agree.
1: Unless you're Valkaz. Um The Vhagar, uh changes are the last one, which is crazy. Okay, so Vagar's new passive is whenever he strikes an enemy champion with a spell... That grants Vagar a stack of Phenomenal Evil, which is like his ability power stack. His Baleful Strike still grants uh, Phenomenal Evil on unit kill, um, and two for minions and monsters. It's very, very same kind of thing. Um, And the mana cost is down. The mana cost on almost all of his abilities is down because of his old passive was just kind of a way to artificially inflate his mana cost. Uh, And they have made the... uh, almost saddest change uh, to his ultimate prim- primordial burst. The damage now increases based on the target's missing health rather than uh, with an enemy AP ratio. Too bad, so sad, figure. Yeah. I don't really know what else to say about that change. It's one of those things where I kind of always knew that an enemy scaling AP ratio is stupid and bad game design. Yeah. But I always just liked it, and I just wanted it to stay in yeah, the game. But no, now it's an execute, <coughs> and it makes it less of a...
0: Like, in the past, Vigar would have to be kind of a reactive fi- pick to be most, most effective, because you picked him first, and he's like, well, I guess I'll go, like, Talon, or... Zed, and even though that's still, like, a good counterpick to him, it doesn't make it so bad so that you're...
1: You know, the funny thing is, I honestly think it's just because of how outdated Vegar is. Uh, I think Vegar comes from a world where mages don't get to... Mages are the only thing in the mid lane, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, ob- you know, there's no such thing as a Zed or a Talon uh, in the in the olden days. I don't know.
0: Yeah. Uh... I don't know. I think it's cool. I'm excited. I do like playing Vegar a lot, so I'm excited for this to be more powerful. Um, yeah, he's, again, seems like straight buffs. So
1: yeah, this one's pretty straight buffs. I think we'll, we, we might see a decrease in the time uh, in the stun time on his E. Um, yeah, that, that, I, I can see that. That makes that, sense. that would be the first place I imagine that he gets nerfed uh but i guess that's it well, i guess that's it for today yeah today uh do you have anything else
0: no other than that if you want to tell us your thoughts on these upcoming changes you can email us at some at games at gmail.com you can follow us on twitch on twitch.tv slash you can follow our youtube channel which will be in the description you can follow us on twitter you can join our facebook group you can i don't know whatever comment on the soundcloud i'll read them yay um, anything else that I forgot that you want to talk about?
1: No, not really. Um, uh, I think uh, yeah. most of the games are off for the next... Are you going to run Hell's Rebels while I'm, while I'm on uh, vacation? Probably I was leaning towards not. Okay. Just I don't want to ruin your vacation kind of by making you fucking play Hell's Rebels.
0: Fair uh, enough. Um, so no D&D for the next, uh, until not... Well, after this cast goes up till the Wednesday after this cast goes up. Um... So uh, until next time. Oh, and the other thing is that because of this vacation, the next cast may go up a day late. This one's probably going to go up a day early. So we're going to bank that day and put it on the end. So.
1: <laughs> and just just increase the differential between them by two days? Yeah. Uh, Sounds good to me.
0: Um, so until next time, dear listeners.
1: Until next time.